Love you, Ella. Sister Ella, I wanted to praise you for your your singing. That was so beautiful. Um, I loved I loved that singing. I love the worship from both of you. Love the worship. It was beautiful. Thank God for you. And uh, thank God for the readers of the word. Thank God for all of you who uh, recording has started. <clears throat> worked hard to put this together because it's, I mean, I know the, um, our leader is uh, out of town, but, um, you know, thank God. I think he would be, uh, you know, feel honored and blessed by what we're doing for each other. And um, I want to talk <clears throat> a little bit today. Uh, want to talk today about um, we're still talking about how demons enter into our lives and how we get victory over how we get victory over sin I feel like we have to go back to the beginning of our faith and to kind of understand some basic truths because it's almost like when we it's almost like a ship you know when a ship is sailing if a ship goes one degree off, eventually the ship will end up a hundred miles off course. Whether it goes to the left one degree, if it's to the left one degree off, or to the right one degree off, if it's off by even one degree, you end up hundreds of miles off in the end. And so I think there's just some basic Christian truths that I think we need to understand because I think that they should inform how we treat each other, how we act in the home, how we treat our brothers and sisters, how we live our lives. Um, and so I want to look at that today. I want to kind of just go back a little bit just to some basic Christian truths. Um, let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 through 15 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 13. We're, we're still talking about how demons enter, but we're also going to look at some, some basic Christian truths. Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 through 15 and verse 19. <laughs> Matthew chapter 13, 14 through 15 and verse 19. All right. He says, talking about the parable of the sower. He says, uh, the purpose of parables, I'm sorry. And this is following the parable of sowers, and we're going to look at that too. The parable of the seed and the sower. But Matthew 13, 14 through 15, he says this. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy says, the prophecy is fulfilled. Hold on, wait a minute. Let me, um, yeah. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will, per you will indeed see, but never perceive. He says, For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I will heal them. Now, the Lord explains in the ver in verse 18 through 19, he, he explains, goes back to the, an explanation of the, par of the parable of the sower. He says in verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what has been sown in his heart. Now, the word of God is the food that helps us to grow. It's what informs our Christian life. It's what that and the Holy Spirit inform our Christian life. It, it teaches us what does it mean to be little Christ. So if that word is snatched out of our heart, if the word of God is taken away from us, then that slows the process of Christ formation in our heart, in our spirit, in our lives. And so, but the question is, is again, how does, how do we, how do we not understand? Because you have to understand the, the scriptures. You have to understand what you're reading. 
in order, you have to understand the word of God in order to grow. So he says, verse 15, he says, for this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears, they can barely hear. When my heart, when our heart grows dull, meaning when we don't want the word of God to make changes to our lives, we give permission to the devil to take the word out of our heart. When we don't want the word of God, that's what being dull is. When being dull is, is, is we don't want, we don't want the word of God to change us. We don't want it to interfere with us. We don't want it to, we want to be able to kind of control it. We want to be able to kind of control the message or control the speaker or control the service or control uh, God and how and, and the limits of, of what he can do in our life. We want to be able to control that and to be able to meet that out in a way that's acceptable to us. But when, when we try to do that, when we don't allow the word of God to make the changes into our life, that makes our hearts dull. And when we won't allow the word of God to make the changes, Satan, we give permission to the devil to take the word of God out of our heart. And that's what he's talking about in verse 19. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Now, how can, what, what is the connection between not understanding the word and Satan snatching, snatching this word out of our heart? Job 28, 28 says this, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil, that is understanding. What is understanding? Departing from evil. That's what the Lord says. If you want to understand the scriptures, that's what it is. Under this understanding the scriptures and understanding the will of God for our lives begins with the desire to stop doing evil, to stop doing wrong. That's that's what understanding is. If I approach the scriptures without the motivation to stop the evil behavior in my life, I will never understand anything Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, is saying. I'll never understand it. I'll never understand the will of God for my life. I'll never understand what Yeshua's purpose is for me. I'll never understand what Yeshua is saying. It'll just be head knowledge. Um, why? Because w w what did Jesus come for? We have to remember this. This goes back to the second basic truth. The first basic truth is, is that we need the scriptures to grow. That's why in, in Peter, he says, he says, you, you crave the sincere, sincere milk of the word. That's that's the that's a fundamental thing. We must have the word of God. David says um, in thy law, I meditate day and night. Um, you look at Psalm 119, all of the wonderful things that the psalmist says about the scriptures and how they are absolutely essential for life. So that basic truth, we must have the scriptures. Basic truth number two, we, we must understand the scriptures. And to understand those scriptures, number three, we have to separate. We have to have a, approach the scriptures with, uh, with the motivation that we're going to stop doing wrong. And here's the fourth basic truth here. Why is that? Why is it that if I don't have that motivation, when I come to the scriptures, I won't get anything that God is saying? See, people can, you know, and you have this, you have people who will read the scriptures for years and years. You've got Bible scholars, you've got people who read the Bible backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, but it absolutely does nothing for their life. It absolutely does nothing to change their life. Why? Because they don't approach it with the attitude that says, I want to stop the evil behavior in my life. And that's why the Pharisees killed Jesus. That's why the Pharisees had Jesus killed because they, they, and, and these, and these people could quote the Bible backward forward. They could quote whole books of the Bible. There was almost no group of people in the world that can, that knew the Bible as well as the Pharisees. They knew it backwards and forwards, but they killed Jesus. They had Jesus killed. Now, how do you do that? How is that possible? How is it that somebody who knows the word of God can kill the Lord Jesus? The one who you've been reading about all these centuries, all these hundreds of years. Here you are. You've been waiting for him to come into the world. 
And what happens? You end up killing him. Why? Because all that time you were reading the scriptures without the motivation to stop the evil behavior in your in, in, uh, without the motivation to stop the evil behavior in their life. And you find that Jesus confirms that truth in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus gives seven woes to the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, he says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds, 23 verse 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. That means that they're the lawgivers now. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. He says, don't do it. Don't do what they do. He says, they, they're giving you the word. They're giving you the law, but don't do what they do because the word of God has no impact on how they live their life. That's why he said, don't do what they do. You can listen to them, but don't do what they do because the word of God has not reached their life. Has not They have not made room in their hearts for the word of God. He says, for they preach, but do not practice. They preach, but do not practice. And that's where, that's, that's how we can kill Jesus by in our life, by preaching, by reading, by going to church, by going to Bible study, by singing in the choir, by doing all this activity, but not practicing it. You see, that's the fastest way we kill Jesus. And we, and, and we don't, and oftentimes we don't even realize it because we're making ourselves feel good by what we're doing for other people. And so we think that we're doing what's pleasing to God. We think we're doing the right thing. We're thinking that we're thinking that our activity is pleasing to God and is real spiritual and so on in front of others. Yes, but in the sight of the Lord, no, because the word of God is not being allowed to make the necessary changes in our life. So he says, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. They do all their deeds to be seen by other people. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats at the synagogue. He says in verse... Um, in ver look, we'll skip into verse 13. He says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves. Again, the word of God is not making a change. They're not, they didn't approach the word of God to stop their evil behavior. He says, For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you. Woe to you, blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. He says, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Those you, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean also. He says in verse 27, they're outwardly righteous, they, uh, and so on. But, and that's the difference between, again, allowing, being dull of heart versus allowing the word of God to change, reach in, and to make physical, uh, tangible changes in your life is that the outside of your life is clean, but the inner life, your private life, your thought life, your home life, your what you what what you do in secret when nobody knows, that's the real life, and the difference between the two is that the person who is who is uh, only interested in cleaning the outside and looking good, they're the ones who are always attending service. They're ones who read in the Bible, read and read and read and read, and, and they're getting and nothing is changing their life. 
because they're not allowing the word of God to change them. They don't have an understanding. And so Satan is taking the word out of their heart. You'll hear a message like this, a message of repentance, a message of holiness. And what will they do? They won't understand it because their motivation is not to stop doing what they're doing. So Satan comes and takes the word right out of their heart because they don't have that motivation. So if I'm so again, if I don't approach the scriptures with the motivation to stop doing wrong, if I'm not sitting down in the morning, Lord, shine a light on me, show me my evil behavior, show me how to get victory over my sin in my inner life, my dream life, my thought life. Lord, what is it in my past? Is there something in my home? Is there some movies? Is there some TV shows I'm watching? Is there something in my bloodline, something in my, my family that they were doing or in my past generations ago that is that I've inherited? What is going on in my inner life, Lord? Whatever's going on that's making me, causing me to make poor decisions or think wicked thoughts continuously. Lord, what is it in me? Deal with me, Lord, I'm sitting down here to your word. I'm trying to fill up my heart with your word for the purpose of holiness. And if I don't if I don't approach the word of God like that, I won't understand anything that Yeshua is saying. Because again, Job 28, 28 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the ABCs. It's the ABCs of wisdom. It's the ABCs of the Christian life. And he says, and to depart from evil, that is understanding. And he says, if I don't, if I don't depart from evil, then what happens? I don't understand what Jesus is saying, the word of God, and Satan comes and takes the word right out of my heart. And why? Why is this? What were the scriptures given for? And why won't we understand what Jesus is saying? Why won't we understand? Because Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's what he came for. Jesus Christ came into the world to save us from our sins. And the meaning of that is sort of lost with the name Jesus because uh, it's actually Yeshua, Yeshua's Yahweh Savior. Um, and, and it comes out more fully when you use his, uh, his birth name. But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says this of the Lord Yeshua, Jesus the Christ. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. The entire reason why Yeshua, our Lord Jesus Christ, came into the world. He says, and I'll start at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She, now this is telling you again, why is Jesus coming into the world? Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came into the world. That's it. That's it. Verse 21 tells you, why is Jesus here? Why did he walk the earth? What did he come here for? Did he come here to make me healthy and wealthy? Did he come here to be a genie and give me whatever I want? Did he come here to, 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 uh, to, to bring doom? Did he, what did he come here for? What did Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, come into this world for? Because what he came into the world for determines what we should be looking for in him. Right. If, if, if Jesus came into the world, it's just like if, if I, if, for example, if, 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 if the, if the mailman comes to my mailbox, I should be expecting him to put mail in the mailbox because he's the mailman. And so I know if, if I see that blue, that logo on that truck driving by, stopping by the mailbox, I know I'm going to get mail because it says post office. It's postal service. It's the same thing here. If Jesus, if the Bible says Jesus came into this world, for, I, should, I should know why he came into the world. And he says, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. So what should I be looking to Jesus for? To be saved from my sin. That's what I should be looking for him for. And if I'm not looking to be saved from my sins, then Jesus cannot be my Messiah because that's why he came into the world 
to save me from my sin. And that is the problem. I feel that is the problem with so many of us as believers and why we get so stuck and so frustrated and so upset about the way that things are going in our life. The reason why we get so frustrated is because we're looking for the wrong thing from God. We're looking for God to do what we want, to make us happy, to fulfill our dreams, our goals, our ambitions. You find whole churches devoted to this concept. Do you, be you, let your talent shine. Let your, God will give you the blessing to do what you want and fulfill your potential, human potential, human potential. God will bless you to do what you wanna do. You just gotta do X, Y, and Z to get him to give you what you want, because that's your dream. Follow your passion. But they're looking for the wrong Messiah. <laughs> if that's what you're looking for, you're looking at the wrong Messiah. You're looking for the wrong person. You're looking at the wrong person because Jesus didn't come to do any of that. Jesus came to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to save us from our sins. And everything that he does is for that goal, even miracles. And we see that in the Bible. He renounces certain cities where he performs his miracles because they did not repent. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. He says, for if the works done in you have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they'd still be here to this day. Even his miracles, even his blessings are for the purpose of us turning from sin. Even the Bible says God's kindness leads us to repentance. Even the blessings are for the sake of stopping sinning. It's a, everything that God does is move is, supposed, is is for the purpose of moving us away from sin. Everything, 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 everything He does, every blessing, every judgment, every word, every every kind thing, every severe thing, everything that God does. Every miracle he performs is for the purpose of saving us from our sins. And so we, if, if that's not what I'm looking for, it's like if I'm going out there and I'm looking for an Amazon package from the postal service, I'm looking for, I'm looking at the wrong truck. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the wrong truck. I'm looking at the wrong delivery, the, the, the delivery vehicle. I'm looking at the wrong thing. If that's what I'm looking for, I'm looking for the wrong thing. I need to look for an Amazon package, not a U.S. Postal Service package. And it's the same thing with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're looking to Jesus to do something different for you than to save you from your sins, you're looking at the wrong Messiah. You're looking at the wrong one. It's, you're looking for somebody else. And that is what I dare say the majority of Christians are looking for. They're looking for somebody else other than Jesus. And other than Yeshua, because he came into this world for one reason and one reason only, and that is to save us from our sins. That's why he was born. And and you and you and we're and <clears throat> because that's that's what he came for. And many of us, we are like uh we are like John the Baptist. We're like others, you know, who when he wasn't doing um what uh what they had experienced expected Jesus to do um you know they, they began to doubt you look at Matthew chapter 11 and verse 3 Matthew chapter 11 and verse 3 he he's he says this uh let's begin at verse 1 so we have to look for the right Messiah we have to look for we, we need to be looking at Jesus and making sure that we're looking at the correct Messiah because the Messiah of the Bible, the Messiah of Christianity, the Messiah of the world, he came to save us from our sins, not to make us healthy and wealthy. That's another Jesus. First Corinthians 11 talks about that too. There's another, or is it a, I think it's first Corinthians, another Jesus. You know, Paul mentions that there is another Jesus. There's a false Jesus. There's another gospel. There is. There's a false gospel. There's a gospel of the world. There's another Jesus. There's another gospel. There's a and, and it makes you gives you the spirit of the world. 
And, and, and the Jesus of the world is the one who makes you feel good, who accepts everybody and doesn't change anybody, accepts you as you are and leaves you as you are. You can be LGBTQ, you can be, uh, you can be in a, a gay, you can do whatever you want to do, abort, you can sleep around, divorce, cheat on your wife, watch porn, do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do and this and, and the Jesus of the world will accept you. The, but the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Yeshua, the Messiah, our, our long-living risen king, God over all, ruler supreme over all things, that Jesus, the true Jesus, he came to save you and me from our sins. And if we're not looking for that from him, we're looking at the wrong Messiah. We're looking at the Messiah of the world. The one who makes us healthy and wealthy, the one who get and th and that's all. We're, the one who we do business with. You do this for me, and I'll do this for you. The one who gives us, you know, one who we just treat him like a, a money machine or a genie. We can rub the lamp or do some ritual or do something to get something from him. To who we can use and manipulate to do what we want. Who we can control. That's another Jesus. The one who we control and manipulate to do what we want. That's another Jesus. That's another gospel. But this gospel, the true gospel, the gospel that, G that Jesus and apostle preach says that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And so when we, when we don't, when we're, when we're not looking for that, when we're not looking for that, we, we're kind of like John the Baptist a little bit after he was in prison. He says in 11 verse, um, uh, uh, verse 2, he says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, in other words, when John, John was hearing, John was locked up in prison, he was listening and he was hearing reports were coming to him about what Jesus was doing. And he sent word by his disciples and said, wait, wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. He says, are you the one to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him and, and, go, and answered them, verse four, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He, John was offended at the fact that you're not destroying the Romans. You're not destroying, you're not, I don't, the legions aren't being blown up. You're not burning down. I don't see you attacking squadrons and, and, and centurions and, and there are, I don't see you attacking nothing. You're not going to war with nothing. There's, nobody's dying. There's no violence. How come you're not overthrowing Rome? What, what is this? Are you the one to come or should we expect another? You're not, in other words, you're not doing what we thought you would do. You're not doing what I want, what I want you to do. You're supposed to be attacking Rome. You're supposed to be a military leader. You're not supposed to come to say, save me from the blind, the blind see and the lame walk and lepers are cleansed and the, the dead are, are, are raised and good news. That means the good news of stopping sinning is preached to them. That's what you're here to do. Yes, that's what Jesus has come to do. He didn't come to defeat the white man in our lives. He didn't come to defeat the government, United States government. He didn't come to do any of that. He came to save us from our sins. That's what Jesus came for. And after he was raised from the dead and ascended, Rome was still there and went on for another thousand something years. So no, Jesus is not, did not come to save us from the government or come to save us from the white man or from our races, from racial and for our en enemies, racial enemies and all this stuff to destroy system. He didn't come to do that. He is going to destroy all these governments of the world one day. Yes, they will all be destroyed and his kingdom will set up, be set up and endure for all time. But we're not there yet. Now, Jesus Christ has come to save us from the real enemy. The real enemy, the real true enemy, the thing that destroys us, thing, the, the thing that sends us to hell, the thing that ruins our relationships, the things that destroys our children and offers them up to Satan, the thing that causes divorce. Sin, that's what he came to save us from. And so when we, when we don't have that correct perspective of God, when we don't have the right perspective of Jesus, 
we begin expect we don't when we don't have that understanding of Jesus and what he's come to do we have wrong expectations of God wrong expectations we start expecting things of God that he did not come to give us he has come to he loves us he cares for us he he the bible says he created the whole world for our enjoyment his world that is not the world that man made his world he created all the whole world for our enjoyment. There's so much, every good thing that's out here in the world, every good and pure and holy thing is for us to enjoy. But the bottom line is, is that the God came to save us from the main, even all, even that is meant to turn us away from sin. Roman, you take the time to read Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32, talks about that. He says the invisible qualities of, of, of he says, for through nature, the invisible qualities and divine nature, eternal Godhead are clearly seen, being understood by what has been made. So man is without excuse. Excuse for what? Excuse for doing right. Excuse for turning to him. Even nature tells you to stop doing wrong. Because it's supposed to point you to the Lord. Absolutely everything in this whole universe is intended for us to stop doing wrong. That's why Jesus came. That's why he made the universe to turn us to him. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8 and 28 and 29. He says, we know that all things, all things, sun, moon, stars, trees, birds, all circumstances, people, everything. He says, all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord to them who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined, predestined for what? predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that means to think like jesus to speak like jesus to behave like jesus to conduct yourselves like jesus all of us together to go hand in hand on this journey together becoming more and more like jesus with every step forward together together not despising each other's progress, not, not, not downing each other. No, arm in arm going forward into Christ's likeness together on the highway of holiness. That's what we're called for. We are called to be like Jesus. And every single thing in this whole universe, everything, he says, everything, all things work together for that. They work together for that. They don't work together for anything else. And when we try to go after other things, we wonder, my God, why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? How come this, how come this is not succeeding? Because it goes against God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is to be like Jesus. And that's what predestined means. Meaning that before the world was created, before there was a universe, before there was a human race or even a thought of a human race, the Lord God of heaven had already planned for you and me to be like Jesus Christ. Already. That's what predestined means. It's just like if I'm going to travel somewhere, if I'm going to New York, or um, say, for example, if, if, I'm, if I'm going to, where do I want to go? Where are we trying to go? If we're trying to go to Israel somewhere, <clears throat> or, uh, yeah, let's just take Israel, for example. I'm going to take the most direct flight to Israel. I'm not going to detour and go backward and go here and there and everywhere. I want to take the most direct flight to Israel. Why? Because it's been predestined. I predestinated in my mind beforehand, this is where I want to go. So what do I do? I buy a ticket that's going to take me to Israel. I don't want to end up in Russia somewhere. I don't want to end up in South Africa somewhere. If that's not what my ticket says. And you and I have a ticket. When we and I, when you and I uh, surrendered ourselves to the Lord Jesus and said, we want you to be Lord. We want you to be Lord of our lives. What do we do? We were given a ticket. We were given a ticket to be like Jesus. We were given a ticket to be like the Christ, to think like him, speak like him, behave on. We were, we were put on a destination. The Lord put us on his plane, the plane of holiness. And what are we doing? We're flying. We're taking to mile by mile by mile by mile, day after day after day after day. We're, we're getting closer and closer and closer to our destination, which is to be just like Jesus. That's what he called us for. And so we should not have the attitude of expecting something else from God because we'll be frustrated, we'll be upset, we'll, we'll feel disjointed because God is not going to do what you want him to do. 
he's going to do what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is he told us in Matthew 121, he says, I've come, I'm here. I'm here in the world. Why? Because I want to save you from your sin. So that's what I should expect from God. Lord, what do I need to expect from you that you're going to keep me from sinning? Everything in my life, you're going you're gonna to put me through difficulties. You're going to put me through hardships. I'm going to go through suffering, trials. Things aren't going to go always the best. Why? Because you're trying to save me from sin in my life. Oh, but this man who offended me. Oh, but this, the white man or my enemy or whoever, this other black man, this man, that man, woman, whatever. You're not going to do anything about that? No, not first, no. I'm going to deal with you first. The Lord wants to deal with us first. Because that's why he came. He came to give us victory over sin. Now, these are just some fundamental truths that we have to accept and understand. If we approach the word of God without understanding these things, without the motivation to to repent of our sin, to stop, then we're going to miss it. And, and, I don't, and I don't want us to waste our lives spinning our wheels, wasting years of our life wondering why we're not growing. We have to align ourselves with God's plan. Everybody's sp speed is not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same because the conditions of our heart is different. Some of us have tender hearts. Some of us, our hearts are, are a little bit hard. <clears throat> and so God, so it requires more. But one thing we have to do is, is we have to get out of this thinking that, um, that it's all going to be on God and not, and that we're not going to have a choice because we are going to have a choice and we have to remember something. We have to be willing to yield ourselves. And this is the difference. This is the, this is the, the parable. And yes, Lord, I was going to go to some notes. I'm, I'm a, I must disregard that. The Lord is like, don't go there. So I'm not going to do it. Um, I want to go. Where were we in Matthew 13? There are some things that you and I have to do. Going back to the beginning here where we were, we have to prepare our hearts to let God do the work that he came into the world to do. He came to save us from our sins, but we also play a role in that too. We have to submit our hearts to God. This is why the parable of the sower, when he said, he says, there are four, there are four different soils. He says, you've got, um, you got four different kinds of soils. You've got the you got the, the the soil that's on the path. You got the soil that's on thorns. You got the soil that's on rocks. You you got the and then you got the finally the good soil. And the Lord has to work through all of that in order for His in order for for His Spirit for the for the for Christ-like formation to take place in us. Because again, when Jesus Christ has come to to save us from our sins. What does that mean? It means that more and more and more of his nature is replacing more and more and more of our sinful nature. Let me give you an illustration of that real quick. And um, we're going to we're going to stop here a little early. <clears throat> Think of a window. That's dirty. This is the process. This is what I mean. Think of the salvation, the, the sanctification process as cleaning a window. The window is filthy, but as you clean the window, different parts of it, you clean it real, real good to where it's crystal clear on one side. And then what happens? The light of the sun can come through into the house. You say, oh, praise God, some light is coming in here. Then you move on to the next place and you clean that place up. You clean it up, clean it up, clean it up. And then what happens? More light comes through. And you clean more and you continue the process and more and more light comes through until the whole room is full of light because the window is clean. And that window is a picture of our lives. It's not that we're anything. 
I'm nothing. I am nothing. I, I, I have no problem with saying that. I, Austin Lowell Scott, am absolutely nothing. I am zero. Nothing. I am, I am zero. I am nothing without the Lord. Absolutely nothing. And if the Lord took his spirit away from me, I would go right back to being a heathen. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. <clears throat> and so when we clean that window, that window is like a picture of our life. When we clean that window, then the light of God can come through. You see, it's not that God doesn't want to shine his light. God is not selfish. Why would he give you commands if he didn't want to do it? He wants to do it. He wants to make us holy. But if I don't clean the glass, if I don't clean it up, then the light can't shine through into my life and out of my life into the lives of others. It can't do it. <clears throat> it can't. It can't. And so we have to be willing to take steps. That's the choice that we have to make. The Lord God already took a step towards us. He took a step. He came down into the world to us. We didn't go up to him. He came down to us. That was the step he took. People are sitting there waiting for a sign from God. I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for God. What more could you want than Jesus Christ, God Almighty, coming in the flesh to you, to me? What more could we want? That's the mega sign right there. That's your sign. You want to see God? You want to know God? Look at Jesus. You want to know if God is, wants to come and take a step to you? You're waiting for God to come. He already came to you. He already came to all mankind. In the body of Jesus Christ, he already did that. He came to you. It doesn't get more personal than that. God left his throne and came to man to save man from his sins. And so what do the question is, is how do we respond to that? That's the question. What is my response? God already took a step. Now, what do I do? What do I do? What is my answer? He came to save me from my sins. Am I going to accept that? You see, am I going to let the son of God be formed in me? Look in your Bibles real quick. There are two verses I want to look at real quick. First Thessalonians in chapter five of verse 22. First Thessalonians chapter five. And verse 20 through 23. That's what I'm looking for. 20 through 23. <clears throat> 20 through 23. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 19 through 23. All right, he says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Notice how that keeps coming up in every gospel and every every book of every book of, of, of the apostles. Every single book has something to do with stop doing evil. Every single thing, because it squares with why Jesus Christ came. They wouldn't be apostles if they weren't preaching that message, because that was Jesus's message. So he says in verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now you see this, sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So you see what God's goal is for us. God's goal for us is this. <clears throat> and verse 23 is what God will do. He says, God himself will sanctify you completely he says, that your, may your whole spirit, your inner man, the thing that controls the soul, he says, your spirit, your soul, your mind, will, your emotions, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is speaking of his return, right? But the goal of Jesus coming into the world was this verse right here. That's exactly what Jesus came in here to do, came to the world to do. He came to forgive us of our sins, to save us from our sins. And what? That our whole spirit, soul, and body be blameless. That's what he came to do. He says, here, this is what I'm coming to give you. Blamelessness in your spirit, blamelessness in your mind, pure, or purity, 
purity and blamelessness in your in your spirit, purity and blamelessness in your mind, will, and emotions, purity and blamelessness of body. That's what I came to give you, right? But then that's what he does, right? But then our response, look at what he says first that we got to do. He says several things that we've got to do, right? He says, <clears throat> first, look at, look, we can go all the way back to, to um, I mean, you can really go back to verse 12, but I'll go back, <clears throat> go back to 15. He says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. So this is what I do, right? This is what I do in response, right? How do I do? We all, we each, God does something, I do something. Jesus came into the world, I have to respond. He sent his Holy Spirit. I have to respond. He says, verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good one to one another and to everyone. These are things I have to do. Rejoice always. What? Be, th be, be glad. Be thankful. Be appreciative. He says, pray without ceasing. That's what I'm doing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So what do I have to do? I have to give thanks in all things. I have to pray without ceasing. I can't be repaying people evil for evil. I have to rejoice always. What more do I have to do? Do not quench the spirit. Oh my goodness. When the Holy Spirit is moving, the spirit of Jesus is moving in my life. I can't silence him. I can't say, I don't want to hear that. That's my response. You see, that's what, the, that's what the Pharisees did. That's what the enemies of Jesus in the world did. They said they wanted to quench him. They wanted to quench his spirit because he was not, again, he wasn't what they wanted. They wanted somebody else. But for the person who wants the true Jesus, who wants to be saved from their sins for what Jesus came for, then I'm not going to quench his spirit. Meaning <clears throat> when I feel his spirit moving, when I hear his preachers preaching, when I when I when a man or a woman of God comes to me, what do I do? What do I do? I can't look to God for this. I can't look to God to do this for me. I can't look to God to do this for me. This is a choice that I have to make myself. I cannot quench the spirit of God in that man, in that woman that's coming to me to correct me. When God is leading me to do something, I cannot choose to quench him and silence him and make excuses for why I want to do what I want to do. I can't do that. These are choices that we must make. We, God doesn't make these choices. Do not quench the spirit. Okay. That's extremely important because in Matthew chapter uh, 14, 14, 28 and Matthew chapter 16, both of those talk about the Holy spirit and the, or is it John? Yeah, it's John. Is it John 14 or Matthew? I think it's John 14, John, I think it's John six. Yeah. John 14 and John 16 talking about the work of the Holy ghost. <clears throat> he, the Bible says that that is that, that spirit of Jesus, the same spirit that was in Jesus, the spirit of Jesus Christ, he is going to lead us. So you can't quench him. That's a choice I have to make that he is integral to my salvation. It's the same thing that uh, that that um, that God offered to Mary. Will you allow the son of God to be born in you? It's the same thing. And I have to say, and just like Mary, I have to say, yes, Lord. Be it unto me according to your will. I am your handmaid. I'm your servant. Do unto me as you will. I have to I have to choose that just like Mary chose it. God offered it to her. She took it. God offers it to us. We have to take it. It's a choice. God doesn't make the choice for us. We've got to stop this thing about looking to God to do everything. God is not going to do everything. We have to make a choice. God offers it to us. We have to take it. He says, do not quench the spirit. Then verse 20, do not despise prophecies. That means when somebody is rebuking you or correcting you, don't despise the preacher. Don't despise the man of God. Don't despise the woman of God who God sent to tell you something. Or the brothers who, who will gather around saying, hey, brother, we're a little concerned about some stuff that you're doing. Don't despise that. When the man of God is coming from the word and saying things that are hurtful and, and painful because they hit on points of your life. Don't despise that. See, that's a choice that you have to make. You have to be 
open, have ears to hear and not be tone deaf and, and, and get angry at the word and get upset. You have to choose not to do that. We have to choose not to do that. That's not something God will do for us. We have to choose to listen. Even when it hurts, we have to choose to listen. Do not despise prophecy when somebody and also prophecy also means future. When 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 the Lord is telling you something about the future, you don't despise that. You you listen and you open your ears to hear and you receive it. So you don't despise prophecies. He says, but then you test everything. Does it align with the life and teachings of Jesus and his apostles? Just like what I'm telling you. If I'm not telling you what aligns with the life of Jesus and his apostles, somebody needs to rebuke me. And I mean it. I mean it. I, you, so somebody, one of y'all better call me and tell me, hey, Pastor Austin, what you said about some of these things is just wrong. The Bible says this or that. You better, somebody better come and tell me. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything Hold, now this is another thing we have to do. Hold fast what is good. Hold fast what is good. Hold on to what is good. Hold on to what is good. Cling to what is good. Stick with what is good. What should I be watching? The gospel on TV. What is good? What should I be listening to? What is good? Where should I be going? To places that are good. And what is good? Good is Jesus. Good is everything of Jesus and his apostles and his teaching. That is what is good. I hold fast to what is good. And what do I do? Verse 22. I abstain from every form of evil. Every form of evil. If it even looks evil, I abstain from it. Every form. Everything that's evil. TV, music, movies, places, people, places, things. Every form of evil. Anything that could take my affections away from Jesus, I stay away from it. That's what I have to do. God is not going to do that for me. He's not going to do it for us, brothers and sisters. He's not. These are choices that we have to make on our own, of our own free will. That's why we have it. We have to choose it. We have to choose it for ourselves to abstain from every form of evil. And then when you choose to do that, when you choose to do all those things, all these things that he lists here, all those things from 14 all the way to 22, when we choose to do it, then what happens? Verse 23 happens. Now, because you have chosen all those things, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how it works? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What is a yoke? A yoke is for, the, is, 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 is for two oxen doing the same work together. And sometimes they'll put the veteran ox with the, with the inexperienced ox so the inexperienced ox can learn from the veteran ox and they can plow together and, and that and the inexperienced ox can gain experience and be better. It's a co-laboring. It's a co-laboring, brothers and sisters. We're always co-laboring with Jesus. It's not a one-sided thing. Well, God is doing everything. God is going to do it all. He's going to change my mind. He's going to make the choice for me. No, he's not. We have to choose this stuff. We got to make a decision. And I stress that because so many of us are sitting up here waiting for God to do something when he's already done it. He's already done it. He's already told you why you and why he came into this world. You and I have to accept and embrace that. He came to save us from our sins. And so my entire, the pattern of my entire life needs to be that stopping sinning and living holy before the Lord. And you find the co-laboring principle all throughout the Bible. What happens? God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. What does Abraham do? Abraham chooses to leave. God calls the children of Israel out of Egypt. What do the children of Israel do? Choose to leave. God called, uh, um, oh my goodness, there's so many examples of this. Nehemiah, all these guys, all these guys, it's co-laboring, co-laboring. Joshua, you get to the land of Canaan. What does he do? What, do? what does he do? God makes the promise to conquer this land. What do they have to do? They have to fight wars. They have to fight the wars. They have to fight. 
They have to fight tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe. And God gives them the victory, but they have to fight for it. And that is a picture of our heart. That is a picture of our heart. The land of Canaan is a picture of the heart. And we, the children of, we are, we, the children of God, are the Israelites fighting the giants of sin in our life. God gives us the victory, but we have to fight. We got to fight these sins. You just laying down, expecting them to just leave you alone. You see that they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. They're not just going to go away. God will give you the victory, but you have to fight for it. That means cutting out the sin in your life, fasting and praying, turning the plate down, giving, paying your tithe, doing good to people, holding fast to what is good. All those things listed in, in, in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, uh, uh, 14 through 22. All those things we have to do. Then God steps in and says, you know what? Because you're serious about choosing me, because you're serious about aligning with me, because you're serious about conforming to my plan, my purpose, by doing all these things, by not paying anybody evil for evil, rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, not quenching the spirit, not despising prophecies, which is rebuking the future, testing everything, holding fast to what is good, abstaining from every form of evil, because you have done that and you're serious about it, now I will sanctify you wholly. Now your whole spirit, soul, and body will be kept blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus. Am I making sense to you, brothers and sisters? I hope I am. You and I must choose God. And, the, and I feel a conviction about this because there are so many of us who are sitting up here expecting God to do everything. And that's wrong. That's not the way we're to look at God. That's not the way he, that's not the way he operates with us. Because then that takes away our choice. That takes away our free will. We have to fight for this. There are things that we have to do and there are things that only he can do. And he will do the things that only he can do. He's not going to do the things that we are supposed to be doing. And we are supposed to be doing these things that he describes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 15, uh, chapter 5, verses four, uh, 14 through 22. That's completely on us to do. And if you don't do them, then guess what? You won't see the sanctification process happen. You will continue to be defeated by sin. Sitting up here twiddling your thumbs, wondering why nothing's happening and why God didn't intervene. He's not intervening because you're not doing your part. It's just like the Bible says in first in, in, in um in Second Corinthians, I think it's chapter eight, when he talks about giving, on the chapter of giving, Second Corinthians eight. Give. And it shall be given unto you. You see, people are sitting up here again. And even this is just another of the millions of examples in the Bible. Give and it shall be given unto you. You see, you have to give in order to be given to. Jesus says, if you forgive, then you will be forgiven. You have to do something. Then God does something. That's Matthew chapter five. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. You see, it's co-laboring with God. I do my part. He does his part. I forgive my brother. God forgives me. I give to my brother and sister. God gives to me. I separate myself from the world. God receives me and starts making me holy. You see, because God is not going to force you and me to do nothing. He's not. It's all a choice. And you and I can't be saying he's not going to force you to leave your your if, if your wife is the world. <clears throat> He's if, if you if you're married to the world, he's not going to try to force you to leave your husband. No, you have to choose to leave the world and to come to him. He doesn't force any of us to be saved. He doesn't force any of us to love him. Jesus even said that if if any of you, if any of you would come, you find him prefacing his statements with that all the time in the Gospels. If anyone would come, if 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 it's always an if. If anyone would come to me, let him deny himself. Okay, you want to follow me? If you do, if you do, this is the condition. You must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If he always gives us a choice. So we've got to wake up 
from this deception of thinking that this is entirely one-sided because it's not. It is a co-laboring with Christ Jesus. And it is, and it is a co-laboring that begins with accepting and embracing the true Jesus. And the true Jesus, the true Yeshua came into this world for one reason, one, and that is to save us from our sins. One reason, that's it. Stop looking to Jesus for other things. Stop. You'll be disappointed because he didn't come for that. You want him to make you comfortable, happy, healthy, and wealthy. You want him to do all that for you, to do what you want. You're going to be disappointed because he didn't come for that. He came to save us from sin. And when you align yourself with that, then all the blessings come. And what do they do? They drive you away from sin. To him, to a life of holiness. This ain't so you could be walking on eggshells and be tiptoeing around all the time. No, because the life of holiness is very rich. There are countless wonderful things that you can do <clears throat> in the life of holiness. It's just like the tree of the knowledge of good, uh, tree, uh, the garden of Eden. There are all these tens of thousands of trees around that you can enjoy. Just stay away from the one. That's how the life of holiness is. There are all these thousands of wonderful, beautiful things you could do with your life. Just stay away from the one. The one tree. That's it. The tree of sin. Get away from it. That's all he's asking. We've got to square our lives with the purpose for which Jesus came. And when we do that, that's when we'll see all the activity and hand and blessing and presence of God in our lives, brothers and sisters. And I'll say this and stop because my, my time is up. But this is how we're going to love each other as well. The greatest need, and I've said this a million times and I'll never grow tired of saying it. The greatest thing we need is love. And most of us don't feel loved. I don't care what you say. You can say, oh, I, I feel love. My children love me, blah, 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 blah. Most of us don't feel loved. And the reason why we don't feel loved is because we have wrong expectations of Jesus. We want Jesus to do what we want him to do, and it doesn't work like that. And so because you're expecting Jesus to do what you want instead of doing what he wants, which is to stop you from sinning and destroying yourself and sending yourself to hell, you don't want to follow his commandments and teachings. You're resisting certain things. And so what happens? There's wickedness in your life, and that's why you can't love. For the Bible makes the point plain in first Timothy one, he says the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience and sincere faith. That's where love comes from. If we're not about the business of stopping sinning, we will never love. We will never be able to receive love. We'll never be able to feel it. If we're not trying to stop the sin for behavior in our life. So we need to do this. We need to do our part so God can do his part so we can be sanctified entirely so we can be a family so we can go into this journey of holiness and godliness into the kingdom of heaven together. We are a body. We're not individuals. We are a body. We have to we, we are individuals. We have to make our individual choices and so on. But God, the Holy Spirit baptized us into one body and we need to start acting like that. We're one. You're not individuals. We're one in Christ. And we all must choose this path of, of a Christ-likeness in the inner life. Or we'll fall. We're either going to all rise together or we're all going to fall together, just like we're seeing in the church today. So let's get a pro appropriate understanding of why Jesus came. Let's accept the true Jesus so we can have the right expectations of God. So we can stop expecting the wrong things and expect the right things from God. Expect what he come to give you. Expect that. You and I are expecting different things. Let's expect what Jesus came to give us. Let's expect that. Let's look for that thing, which is victory over sin in the inner life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. We love you and we praise you. Help us, Father of Heaven, to get victory over sin in life. Help us to stop expecting other things from you. Because that's not what you came for. You came to give us victory over sin. You came to save us from our sin. Not to do what we want you to do and to control you and manipulate you and get you to do what, you, what we want. You come to save us from our sins. That's why you came. 
Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to live life with that expectation because that is the prayer you will always answer. And it doesn't mean, Father, that we don't live lives and that you know, we're not going to be crying out to you to help us in different situations, Father. You will help us in these situations, but we have to always keep in mind that the goal, even for your blessings, even for your help, even in the small things, <coughs> is to save us from our sins <clears throat> and to make us more Christ-like. That's why you do everything. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for coming into the world to save us. You took a step towards us. Now, Lord, let's take our steps towards you. You extend your hand. Now, let's reach out our hand and grab it. We love you and praise you. We thank you for your word, which is the truth, Lord. Help us sanctify us entirely as we do our part. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, bless our children, Father. Bless our children. <clears throat> bless our children to go the way of holiness. The devil wants nothing more than to sabotage our generation, the next generation, and to keep them from knowing you. Bless our children to be holy and godly and pure, blameless, set apart from the world, set apart, renouncing the devil, eschewing, denouncing the devil and eschewing the world, Father Heaven, but seeking holiness and discipline in their life. May our children grow up virgins, both they and their wives, Father Heaven, and get married virgins. Bless them, Father, and bless their children that you might have offspring for righteousness. That's what we're trying to train up, Lord, children who love you. And we want to love you. And we want to love each other, Father. Bless our children, Father. And bless us to love you and to do your will. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.